Turn over to Luke chapter 10. And uh, I scooted over there to tell Lane earlier. He didn't realize it, but his video plays right into what we're talking about this morning. And it's always funny to me. I don't, I don't consider that coincidental. You know, I always consider those divine appointments lined up before we knew it. And the song, our song leader in New York, uh, one of the ones who did it the most, we were laughing all the time because it happened all the time where he would pick the songs. They flow right into exactly what we were talking about and right into what somebody had before the Lord's Supper and right into what somebody had chosen for the Scripture reading that day. And every single time it just touched on it. And so we get a little bit about this morning in uh, the video that you shared and in the opportunities uh, that Lane presented. All of that just fits right together. And then our call to worship Scripture, I choose, we go according to, uh, there's a, a list of scriptures that you read that you can choose or not to that a lot of different churches will do for the year. So I don't even pick those. I go to the one for August 25th. Jeremiah's words speak right again to what you were talking about and right again to what we're going to see Jesus talk about. And we didn't pick those either. So somebody, somebody's at work. And uh, if you ever want to know who, Thursdays at 2 o'clock, we're studying about ministry and the Holy Spirit and all that kind of stuff. And, and you find out who, who is it that's working in all of these different people, who lives in every single one of us and, and, and helps us to follow and to follow in rhythm with Jesus and in rhythm with our brothers and sisters around the world. That's, that's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So Luke chapter 10, let's look at this and we'll see how all this fits together. Uh, we looked last week at the, what we typically call the cost of following Jesus or the cost of discipleship. Even your Bible probably has that as a headline. Uh, up there. Uh, in a way, maybe that's the right way to put it. There is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, you, you, you pay a price. Uh, sometimes that price uh, can be high. Sometimes that price is what you might look at and say, well, I can do that. Uh, but, but there is a cost. And Jesus is, never hides that. He never pretends that the Christian life is just easy, like you get baptized and all your problems just get fixed. Ask anybody who has been. Ask anybody who's given their life to Jesus. Did all of your problems get fixed that day and you were never tempted again? You never failed again? You never made a mistake again? Your mouth is always in perfect control and only says things that could be written into a Christian song. No, that doesn't happen, right? Didn't happen for me, you can tell. It doesn't, that's not the way it works. Our, our, the, the work that Jesus does on us is lifelong. And every day we're alive and every day we're breathing. He's still He's still having to fix us, right? We're a work in progress. That's okay. Apparently, that's by God's design. That's not a flaw. It's a feature. You know, anytime there's something that you think is a flaw in an iPhone, Apple tells you it's a feature, even if it's really a flaw. I always think that's funny. They're not the only one, but they always do that. Uh, my, uh, I used to have a Silverado, and my Silverado on the screen would randomly, just randomly come up with a lawyer message about don't look at the screen while driving. I was always driving when the message came up. What am I, why would you put that on the screen while I'm driving if, but they say it's a safety feature. Mm, I don't think so. Usually it would pop up right as I was out here at 5 o'clock, 4, 4 o'clock, trying to get out of the parking lot here. And that's the only time where we feel like we have people in town. You know, most of the time you drive around here, it doesn't feel like there's people in town. But boy, 5 o'clock from 3 to 5 now that school's about to start, you would think you were in... Let's not go crazy. You would think you might be in Snyder on a Saturday before a college football game at Tech, but you're not going to be thinking you're in Dallas unless you're crazy. Anyway, these, these messages would pop up, and it, it just supposedly a feature. Well, hardship in the Christian life, sometimes a feature, okay? I'm going to tell you that. 
Our need to keep growing and to keep getting better and to be pushed and challenged is a part of what God has designed into our life. The truth is, if we just became uh, where we just barely made any mistakes at all simply by being baptized and we just sat here, you know what we would do? We would just sit here. That's our problem. He knows better. He knows that we need to be challenged and we need to keep moving and not let the grass grow under us, right? And so he keeps pushing. And so it's the same way here with the disciples. He just sent out earlier in chapter 9, uh, 12 of the disciples, and he sent them out. And they went out and had kind of mixed success. They had some people that didn't, didn't take to their message, and they had some people that did. And he, but that's, that's training, right? When I was uh, an AIM assistant, AIM assistants help train AIMers. When I was an AIM assistant, and I believe this was actually Tanya's class that I was training, but not Tanya, uh, the, uh, I had a group of, of AIMers there, and we were teaching them how to do Bible studies, like just in your home, across the kitchen table, or at a coffee shop, whatever, personal Bible studies with people. And the way that they usually worked is people would practice going through these Bible. They would pretend they were the person who needed, who needed Jesus, right? Like, we don't all need Jesus, but you know what I'm saying. They were the people who hadn't yet met Jesus. And this other person is the aimer, trying to you know, study with us and, and try and help us to find Jesus. Well, I'd make it hard on them. Because that's what I would do, right? You figured that out already. I, but I would. Sometimes I would go kind of easy because sometimes you do. You study with somebody and they just immediately are like, oh, my goodness, i got to follow Jesus. And it just happens. I had a guy come up to me in Russia one time and, and say, I heard that you want to teach Bible studies. I'm, I'm eager and I want to study. Okay? That's happened that one time in Russia 20-something years ago where somebody said, I'm eager. Let me at it. Okay. Other times, they don't yet know why they should be eager, right? They don't know because they don't know, and you don't know what you don't know. I'm about to go into one of those uh, Rumsfeld, Secretary of State, you know. There are, there are unknown unknowns, known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown knowns, right? You got all of that? It actually makes sense if you think it through. But they don't yet know why they should be so excited about it. So that's part of your job. Part of your job is to bear witness to Christ out of joy in a way that gets them excited. So that's that's your job. So I, you know, I, I would, as as the the typical you know heathen pagan Rex Boyles used to say, sinner heathen pagan reprobate type creep. I would pretend to be that, and sometimes it would be quick, and sometimes I'd make them work at it. Because you know what? Sometimes you got to work at it. Sometimes you work at it, and then you got to pray the Lord of Harvest that He'll He'll send the Holy Spirit and other reapers to try and help with this person. And I remember one day uh, working with this guy, and he was—he—he he really had uh, the only way to put it—he had a really big ego. He was sure that if he could sit down with anybody in three minutes, they were going to not just follow Jesus; they were going to be a missionary. Okay, that's not true of any of us. It's not true of any of us. There's nobody like that. Okay, you're trying to do God's job when you think you can do that. It's God who convicts those things and calls those things. But he was sure. So I thought, you know, I think he needs the experience that's real. And so I gave him more questions. I gave him harder questions. All of them questions I had had already. All of them things I'd had to dis- I had had to work through in studying with somebody else. And at the end of the study, I said no. You might think, James, that's so mean. That's real. Sometimes you get to the end of the study. And you may have been working with people for a year. You were talking about that earlier, Lane, in your, in your announcement. And sometimes people say no. And Jesus is very open about that in his instructions to them as he sends out these 72 disciples. He tells them, you know, sometimes people are going to say no. So let's look at what he says. They actually have a, by the way, sneak peek uh, at the end. 
They actually had a really successful trip this time, so it was really good. But let's read this together. Luke chapter 10, 1 to... Uh, well, I'll decide on along the way. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and said to them by... Uh, sent them, excuse me, by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, maybe not plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone along the road. And when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever, you, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Uh, that's an aim rule too, by the way. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town will, we will wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. He then goes into some warnings. We'll get to those later. Jump down to 16. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. And the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And we're going to stop there and pick up the rest of that next week. But <clears throat> let's go back to the beginning. I want to look through each of these instructions that he gives them and uh, see if maybe all these things have a, an application for us as well. Because the truth is their mission has already become our mission, hasn't it? The, the idea of going out to the village. Well, you've got your own. You have your village. It's your, all those people within your circle of influence. And it may be at an elementary school, a hospital, a factory, wherever you are. And that's your mission field. Wherever you are at any moment, it's your mission field. Uh, as mission four, we have signs out here that as you leave the doors here at the church, you enter your mission field. That's actually almost not quite true. Because we could put them on the other side, too, and say that you're mission, entering a mission field as you come in. Because there's one in here as well, isn't there? And so everywhere you go, you're on the same mission they are. So maybe there's some things here we can pick up for ourselves and our own work. First, it really stands out to me that they started with prayer. Every good thing of God, everything you want to do to serve the Lord, whether that's collecting backpacks for kids to go out to schools, or now we're collecting things uh, for foster families. All those things, you really, you start with prayer, don't you? You want everything you do in Jesus' name to be blessed by Jesus and by His Spirit. You want to make sure that you do it in His wisdom and in His love and in His goodness as you go out. So the first place you go is, is to God, but He gives us some, some extra instructions. Gave them to them, and I think they come to us too. He told them the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people out there that want to know Jesus. There's nine that may come to Jesus this afternoon in one single jail. There got to be more that aren't behind bars in your neighborhood, right? That need to know Jesus, could know Jesus, would know Jesus if. Now, here's what Jesus says. He's, and this is interesting to me. He's talking to 72 disciples who are enthusiastic, who are ready to go, who end up doing a really good job in, in following in his instructions. And yet he still says, but you know what, brothers and sisters, we need more. There's no way that, that even 72 is enough. You pray to the Lord of harvest. 
to send forth even more workers into the field. It's fantastic that there are people who are already are working with Meals and Wheels. It's fantastic that there are people already who are working out at the prison. And there are other ministries, too, working at the prison. Uh, David Ballard came by. He, he goes to Gatesville, uh, to the women's prison, and is, is looking for some help with that as well. Well, that's fantastic. But you know what we need? More of that, right? More people involved. More hands to the plow. More people who are willing to teach. And it may be through those things. You may say, okay, I want to do something, but I just want to, I just want to have somebody study with across from, from me at my kitchen table. Do it. Absolutely. Go do it. There's one thing that you absolutely know. I don't know what the Lord's will is for my life. Yeah, you do. Get somebody across the table and teach them Jesus. There, you're done. Wasn't that easy? Write it down. You're done. You know what it is. Go tell people about Jesus. But also, he says, pray, because there are people that you aren't going to know. And we need somebody to go reach them. And there are people in the town over here, and we need somebody to go reach them. And there are people in the town over here, and we need somebody to go reach them. And there are people in prison over here, and we need somebody to go and preach the gospel to them. Get on your knees and pray that as willing as you are to go and teach and tell, that there'll be more. I think that's wonderful. I also think it's a good, humbling thing to do. It's good to be reminded and to remind ourselves in prayer that we are not the silver bullet. We are not the only ones that ought to be working or that can work or are even willing to work, but that we can pray to the Lord and say, you know what, we need more. Will you send them, Lord? And he'll raise them up. He's faithful. He'll do it. He may use you to go and teach and baptize and disciple so that they become the next worker. You may be part of the answer to this prayer. And then that's even more fun, isn't it? You go and you teach and you baptize and you disciple and you encourage and you strengthen and that person becomes a new harvester who goes out and they may teach more people than you ever dreamed of. It all begins with prayer. Now, in prayer, he also gives them a heads up. He says in verse 3, go. I love this. Look at this sense. This is hilarious almost. He says, go. He's like Marsha. He used an exclamation point. And then he says, because I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do you catch what I'm catching? He says, it's going to be really hard and some of these people are going to hate you, despise you, and they're going to want to eat you for lunch. Now get after it. How did he say that, I wonder? Like, what, what look was on his face? But he's honest. And this is what I like about Jesus. There are people who call you in and stuff, and you, you go and you, you, you volunteer, and then you get in there and you go, man, I like this, but you didn't tell me that I was going to catch fire or that I was going to do this or I was going to do that and run into all kinds of obstacles. And, you know, what we would do is say, well, yeah, we figured you'd figure that out. <laughs> Jesus is right up front. No fine print. No bait and switch. He says, by the way, you're going to have opposition and it's going to be fierce opposition. They're going to show their teeth every now and then and they're going to get ugly. Sometimes they might even come from within. They might be wolves in sheep's clothing. They may be brother or sister who is a detractor and a critic. But he doesn't say this, does he? In a way to say, so, you know, not, don't too many of you sign up. No. He says it like, but it's okay. I got your back. It's going to be all right. Now get, sick them. Okay. The other thing he tells them is, is that this is urgent. And all throughout this, this is uh, that green part there, is from N.T. Wright in his commentary on Luke. And he says there's a, real, a note of real urgency. He knows that he will not pass this way again. And if people don't respond to his mission this time, it may be too late. And because of that urgency, Jesus says, don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Now all you husbands, there you go. That's, that's actually probably for you. She can't tell you, hold my purse, hold my... You can't do it. No, I can't, I can't hold your purse. Jesus said, don't take it. 
It's, it's great. Do you know what was funny? When I started looking at pictures, I use a, a source that's royalty-free and, and handy uh, for uh, this story. And I've used it all through Luke because I like it's all pulled out of a movie of the book of Luke. And what was funny was I had to look really hard to find disciples without their purse and their sandals in their, in their picture. I thought that was kind of funny because we're attached to our stuff, aren't we? We're just attached. And, and he's saying this is so urgent. There are going to be things that you want to take with you. Don't do it. It'll only slow you down. It's a distraction. Put your Game Boy away. Don't worry. That was old, wasn't it? Put your smartphone away. Just go and do what I need you to do. Nobody has ever shared the gospel by staring at their phone and not talking to the person across the table. Have they? No. Nobody has ever. I bet you have never been at dinner with your phone like this and somebody across the table went, Hey, hey, put your phone down. Yeah, I'm ready to be baptized now. That's not going to happen. Never going to happen. Put your stuff away. Connect with people. This is an urgent task and it may be your only opportunity with some of the people that you talk to. So be ready. Be alert. Get your eyes open. Travel light. Put away all the things that you say, well, I would, I would serve the Lord, but I have this, 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 and this. Prioritize and make sure that those this, 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 and this is are really important. But I will also tell you this. Before you cut them, before you cut some of those activities out, also pray, Lord, if this activity stays, where are the opportunities to share Christ in it? Now, you might think I was just telling you to drop, I don't know, let's say soccer, because that starts soon. I might not be telling you that. You may have somebody in the stands with you as you're watching the kids start a conversation that opens a door for the gospel. That might be right where God wants you. It may be your mission moment. Don't be so distracted that you miss it. Have your eyes open. It's an urgent task. I love it. He says this, and don't greet anybody on the road. Oh, man, we're Texans. That's kind of hard. Hey, our hand goes up, right? You're driving down a dirt road. What do you do? Your hand goes up. That's kind of hard. Well, what does he mean by that? You think he means to be rude? I don't think so. That's not the way Jesus worked. And Jesus, if you remember, healed some people along different roads several times. What's he saying? Don't dawdle. Don't just, you know, mess around and meander and miss all your opportunities. Get at it. When you get where you're going, he says, verses 5 and 6, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. They would have said shalom. It's wishing the peace of God to people. And we should dig into this sometime because this is a concept all its own that would be cool to get into. This concept of going into a home to, with a family that's not yet a disciple, they're not Christians yet, and if you go into a mission field, whether that's short term, like uh, we just went to Guatemala or all summer, or uh, if you actually just become a missionary, long-term missionary, you're going to have this experience, but you have this experience here too. And doing ministry in our community, things like with the backpacks and, and other things we do throughout the year, we end up with a whole lot of connections to organizations around town. Those organizations, while not homes, are the same concept. Often, they are people of peace. They are people that are saying, yeah, you can help us meet these felt needs, and if you can connect with people along the way, please feel free to share the gospel with them. And they do that with us. Uh, Jan Opsich, who spoke uh, not that, for our Mission Sunday this year and our summer series last year, a uh, guy from France who preaches over at Jim Ned and has spent most of this summer actually back over in France doing some mission work and reconnecting with people. Uh, Jan, when he was, before he moved to the United States about 20 years ago, uh, he was 
he was working in France around Marseille and in some of the towns and had this experience. He went into, and I don't remember the small village that it was, but he went to this town and there was a family, a people of peace, that said, you don't, your church doesn't have a place to worship. We have a large home. They were a wealthy family. They had a large home. They were Catholic. And they said, you know, we, don't, we disagree with you on some things, but we love how you talk about Jesus. They said, if your, your church wants to meet in our, they had a huge living room, your church wants to meet in our living room, please, our house is your house. That's this in action. So what do you do? Jesus says, man, when those people bless you, you bless them, and, and God is going to bless them. If they reject you, just move on. Find somebody who is a person of peace, and you'll run into that too. You'll find closed doors. But bless anybody who opens a door and says, yeah, you can do that here. And so that's what, that's what they did uh, with Jan as an example. And that church met in their house for years. I think eventually the wife passed away from cancer, didn't she? Uh, and still, uh, the husband continued to let them use the house for a while. I don't know if they still do or not. I don't think so. Uh, but they were a people of peace. And wherever you go, you'll find that. You find people that are willing to help. Uh, another a biblical example, Jesus says, go into town. And you'll find a donkey tied up. And if the owner asks you a question, you tell him the Lord has need of it. And what happened? The guy said, yeah, sure, take the donkey. Same thing. God has worked some things out for you, ahead of you. He already has for you open doors that you think are going to be challenges and obstacles. Resources that are already there. People that are already willing to help. Doors that are already poised to swing open. And you don't even know it. So go and try it. Show people that you're a person of peace and you'll find people of peace. Next, this is practical. This is so practical. And this is one of our aim rules. If you're sharing grace, be graceful. You know, if you're, if you're trying to share the gospel with somebody, being rude, probably not the way to go. Love is not rude, right? So, <clears throat> just whatever, whatever they put in front of you, eat it. I think this is so practical. Let's read it. Stay there, he says. Eating and drinking whatever they, whatever they give you, yes. I have had the orange jello with the walnuts and the celery. You smile, you eat it, and then you make it a sermon illustration in another country. That's the way you work it, okay? Then they're not offended, and they're not going to know. If they find it on the podcast, they shouldn't have gone looking, okay? That's, Solomon said that. He said, never overhear what people are saying about you. Never eavesdrop when people are talking about you. You're only going to learn that your neighbor doesn't like you. That's in the Bible. That's what it said. Don't be nosy. So stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. I had a laugh. This morning when I was looking at this again, I thought, well, wait a minute. How, you, you could play that in a funny way because eat whatever they give you. It's what you deserved. I don't think that's what he meant. I don't think quite what he meant. He just means be thankful. And if it's not what you liked, man, don't be one of those people who's like, man, I don't like fish and I don't like... Nah. Save that for later. Save it for later. I'll give you an example. Some of you have heard this story. Bible study. Gracious person of peace from the last slide. Uh, I don't even know if she ever became a Christian. If it was, if she did, it was, it was well after we left. But both her kids uh, were interpreters for us at different times, and they were both Christians. And she would let us use her living room for a Bible study, small group Bible study. I miss those. It was always a wonderful group of people. She was an awesome host. She made all the food and everything. She hosted and did everything. Uh, there was one night, most of what she put before us, 
Man, it's fantastic. There are these things called shangi, which are this yeast roll sort of a thing with garlic mashed potatoes on them, and then you roast that in the oven and kind of brown the top a little bit, and it's greater than the sum of its parts, and all of it's from scratch, of course. Oh, man, we loved it when she had those. But one night, if you know this story, don't tell the person next to you, one night she puts out three cakes. The first cake is homemade raspberry jam filling. Awesome. Next cake, same cake, is cream cheese. Awesome. Next, not as awesome as the raspberry thing. That I would take again today. Next one, chopped sardines. Okay? And even if you've heard that before, you know that's disgusting, right? That is disgusting. I'm not lying. Now, the, the thing about it is, I like sardines, so I could tolerate it and not, you know, make faces. I could, I could do this. I ate what was before me. I smiled. I said, thank you. I even took a piece home for Tanya, who did not eat it. She did not eat it. She didn't eat the raspberry either because the sardine juice had moved over in the baggie because she'd put them all in the same baggie, which is lovely. Everybody loves a little fish and raspberry. So that just, that just changed your lunch for today. But some of you are going to go home and eat cake and sardines. Just eat what's before you because you are saying thank you and we love you for the effort that you put into this. I, we, we ate at, I think it's one of my, I think it's one of my favorite meals. I'm going to try not to get choked up because of what you know that people don't have. We had a, uh, and I think I maybe told you about him for a different reason a, a little while ago. There was a family in the church that had been kicked out of uh, their home and everything by the government after the Soviet Union fell apart. And I told you about some about their poverty and their, their cabin. They lived in a 1917, pre-1917 log cabin with gaps. And I never understood how they made the winter. I really don't know. Uh, but there was a day where we went to have a Bible study at their kitchen table. And they insisted that we stayed for lunch. And they got out what they had. They had a can of peas. They had a plop of mayonnaise. They had a boiled egg. And I think, did they have sardines? No. That was it, wasn't it? That was it. That was all they had as a feast for lunch. Peas with a plop of mayonnaise and a boiled egg. And you can be picky about peas at your house. You can be picky about mayonnaise at your house. But when somebody gives you what is the equivalent of the widow's two pennies, you just smile and say thank you and praise God with them. You know, you be gracious and have good manners. Nobody's ever been hurt by that, having the good manners. But man, turning the nose up is no thing for a disciple. Be blessed by those people and bless them back with your gratitude. And I think it's, I think it's kind of awesome that Jesus put that in there. It, it teaches us really practical ways how to be disciples of Jesus. Bless early and often. He says in verse 9, Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. He says, just go, go heal people. Go find people that need help. He had given them that ability. You may not have this miraculous ability, but you have the ability to speak words of kindness. You have the ability to speak the gospel. You have the ability to encourage, to pray together, to, to wash dishes and, and clean up for people who may be sick, uh, to care for them, to help them clean up themselves even. Whatever it is, go and bless them and do it every chance that you get. I get sometimes... Uh, word back from people who have been blessed by you. You may not even know how thankful they are. You may not realize how much good you've done. Sometimes I get to hear back how much good you've done. Do that every chance you get, every open door, every opportunity, every possibility. Just seize that stuff and do it early and often. And then we come to the hard part. I don't really like this one, to be honest, but it's there. It's the reality. The message that you take to people when you give them grace 
is a two-sided coin, isn't it? Because it's an accept or reject. And we can't force anything, can we? We'd love to. I would love to do that. I would love for every time there was a flash flood to just trip people. Wouldn't you? And that's a baptism. That's what that is. Just, just go to the public pool and just, ah, boom, bless you and move on. That would be awesome. But we don't get to do that. There is a choice people have to make and a decision people have to make. And God Himself even, in all His omnipotence, has left this to them. And we need to be honest about it. Okay? In the same way that it's dishonest to say, oh, you become a Christian, everything's just going to be perfect. That's dishonest. It's dishonest to say, and if you reject it, well, no big deal. But we kind of treat it a lot of the time like it's no big deal. It's a big deal. He says in 10 and 11, when you enter a town and are not welcome, to go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. And that's important. He says it's as a warning, not an insult. I think sometimes we read this and it's like we get to shake our shoes at those people. You know, that had, that's almost Italian, wasn't it? And, but that, that went French. Just shake your shoes and be done with it. Dust them off. But it's meant as a warning to say, like the dust of, of, of our shoes, we're done here. Your decision may well be final. Be careful with that decision. Think about what you're deciding here. Think about what you're choosing here. The kingdom of God, he says, be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near you. Remind them you're this close to Jesus, this close to grace, this close to the kingdom of God. Don't give that up. Leave the door open for them as you go. In his case, it was extremely urgent. In our case, it is too. We literally do not know what will happen to them or to us in the course of a day. We actually don't know just how urgent it may be. And we need to be honest and upfront. Finally, we just need to get after it. Their commission really is our commission. Luke doesn't record the Great Commission at the end of his book. Instead, he wrote Acts and showed the Great Commission in action. Matthew records the Great Commission. He says, All authority has been given to me on earth and in heaven. I'm quoting a different translation than what I'm going to read. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the Great Commission, and in what we'll look at next week, Jesus says, I've got your back. And none of this is really about you anyway. If they reject, they're rejecting me. And they're rejecting the Father who sent me. You don't take that personally. Because that's one of the hard things about it, okay? The more you try it, you'll realize one of the hard things is, sometimes you, it's hard not to take that personally. He says, don't worry about that. It's not about you. It's about the gospel, and it's about Jesus, and it's about the Father. He's got our back. He's going to work on them after you've left. That rejection can change, we hope, and we pray. But you just get after it. Go to the next person, the next person, the next person. Leave those doors open, plant seed, and spread the gospel in every way that you can. Let's pray together.